0: Well, we are, we have been, if you've been with us, studying the Gospel of John. We've been in John since Christmas, and now, of course, as we've traveled with Jesus, as John has displayed Him to us through His birth, incarnation, and through His death, Friday night, and now we get the wonderful privilege of celebrating the resurrection of Christ together. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can open it up to John chapter 20. It also will be printed on the screen above me, so you can follow along there as well. Listen now as I read to us from John chapter 20, I'll read verses 1 through 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, "'They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him.'" So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they both were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb, And as she wept, she stood and she stooped and she looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He had said those things to her. This is the Word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so thankful for the testimony of John, the words of Mary, and the proclamation that she has seen you. That's what we ask for today, that, Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would open our eyes and unstop our ears and soften our hearts, that we might be changed by Your Word, that we might see and know Jesus, and that in knowing we might turn to Him and love Him. We pray all of this in His name. Amen. Uh, my dad told me the story uh, the other day of a time that he was um, he was in Chicago. He was working for a company uh, that at the time had a, an office in Chicago. And he had traveled to Chicago to kind of go and visit this office and to check up on them and to see what was going on. And this office in Chicago actually did business with the Chicago Bears football team. And while my dad was in Chicago, he lived in Texas, they thought it would be really fun. Why don't we take you over to the Bears facility? And we can show you around. You get a tour of the Bears facility. It'll be a lot of fun. Great. Sounds good. Well, you know, being a big city like Chicago, uh, it's easier oftentimes rather than to go find your own car and drive somewhere just to call a car and drive there together. So that's what they did. They, they, they called a car and a driver, not a limo, but like a nice Lincoln Town car, you know? Well, it just so happened that at the time, uh, Mike Ditka, the, the, the coach of the Bears, the, the, the famous coach of the Bears, had just resigned. And the Bears were actually in the midst of trying to find his replacement. And nobody knew really what was going on. And so there was this buzz about when the next coach would be announced and who it would be. And there was media always all over the Bears facility. So when a black Lincoln town car pulls up to the Bears facility and out pops this you know, middle-aged man, what do you think happened? the media swarmed him. It must be the new coach. It wasn't. It was just my dad. But it's a fun little case of mistaken identity. And mistaken identity is kind of interesting, I think, this way, is that it oftentimes matters whose identity you mistake, right, kind of which way it goes. For instance, uh, if you're in the White House uh, and you bump into the janitor and you say, oh, pardon me, Mr. President, I didn't see you there. Well, you'll have a little laugh about that when you realize it's not the president, right? But what if it's the other way around? And down the hall, you actually see the president You say, hey, Jimmy, the, uh, the trash cans in the Oval Office need to be changed and there's some trash over here. And you realize then that it's actually not the janitor but the president. It's a little more embarrassing, isn't it? That's kind of what happens to Mary here. She mistakes Jesus, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, for the gardener. Oh, I see you're over there kind of messing with the flowers and the hedges and stuff. I need a question for you. She doesn't realize it's Jesus. But in her mistake, there's a wonderful question that comes up that's so helpful for us. It's the question that Jesus asked Mary. He says, whom do you seek? Who are you looking for, Mary? It's a really good question for us today. What are we looking for? Why did we get all dressed up and come to church today? What are we looking for in church? What are we looking for in life? What are we looking for in our jobs, in our relationships, in our families? What are the things that we're really looking for out of the world? And I think Mary actually sees some things in Jesus that she was looking for, and in fact, she finds some things in Jesus she didn't even know she was looking for. We get to find those things too. We're going to focus in on three of them, three things that Mary finds in Jesus that we need to know as well. And the first is friendship, and then belonging, and then she finds a Savior. So she first finds friendship and belonging, and then a Savior. Let's look at friendship first. Uh, Verse 15, let me read this one more time for you. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Isn't it beautiful to hear the change in how Jesus actually talks to Mary? He starts by saying, woman, whom are you seeking? But he opens her eyes with the most intimate of all words, her name, Mary. And it's him speaking her name to her that her eyes are open and she realizes who this is. In John 10, we read Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice, and he knows his sheep by name. Psalm 139 proclaims this about the Lord, that he has known us, that he knows and numbers the hairs on our heads, that he sees us clearly, and he knows every single thing about us. In John 15, Jesus told his disciples, I'm not calling you my servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. You are my friends. You know, there's two things that really kind of go together with being a friend. It's to be known and to be liked, or even better, loved at the same time. And, you know, we're always searching for those things, aren't we? I mean, we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. It's not just a middle school, middle school thing. It's a thing that all of us desire. I do remember when I was in elementary school even up through middle school, uh, I always kind of secretly envied somebody who had maybe sprained their ankle, even broken their leg, because they got to use crutches. And for some, I don't know, bizarro reason, I just thought crutches were cool, right? You got to get out of class early, because it took you longer to get to your next class. Somebody had to carry your books and stuff for you. Everybody was like, oh, what happened? You know? And uh, it was just cool. You were the guy that wasn't just the normal guy. You were the guy with crutches. Everybody kind of liked you. You had a gimmick. This actually um, happened to me in, in high school even. Uh, I, I desire the same thing. This will surprise none of you who know me, but for about two months in high school, I wore glasses that weren't real glasses. Like, they had no prescription. I didn't need glasses. I saw just fine. I wore completely clear glasses on my face just because I thought they were cool. And I wanted everybody to be, instead of like, oh, that's that guy, oh, that's the guy with glasses, right? Like, there must be something special about this person. We just want people to see something special in us, We are always looking to be accepted, to be liked, and we do it all of the time. As adults, we do this. I mean, think about the way that we use social media. What are the two things we're always looking for in social media? Friends and likes. That's literally what they're called. We want friends. We want people to like us. But here's the rub. To be a real friend is to be liked and known at the same time. And that's where it gets a little harder, doesn't it? Because I do a lot of stuff all the time that wants me to be liked without being known. We project, we build an image, we build a persona, and what we're saying to people is you can come close, but, you know, not too close. Because, of course, we're scared to death. If people get too close, if they really know us, then the opposite is going to happen. They're certainly not going to like what they see. To be known and to be liked is rare. Maybe you found that in your spouse or in a best friend. But you know, there's no one who knows you like Jesus knows you. Not even my wife knows the little insecurities that hide in my heart in the dark places. Not even my wife knows the little things and the subtle things that I do to try and hide them. Not even my wife knows the little dependencies that drive me so often in my day. Not even my wife knows the depth of the ugliness of my heart, even though she sees a lot of it. But Jesus knows. And here's the amazing truth. He loves us still. Jesus has told us, I am your friend if you belong to Christ. If your faith is in Jesus, if you are a Christian, do you know that he has said you have moved from the category of enemy to the category of friend? I think some of us need to hear Jesus just speak our name to us today. I know you. I love you. You are mine. Let's move to that second piece. second thing we find in Christ is belonging in this passage. Look at verse 17 again. Jesus said to Mary, don't cling to me, for I'm not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus tells Mary, go to my brothers. Now listen, that may be kind of just passed over and we've heard it many times, but it really should astound us. Because Jesus said, like in John 15, like I said, he said, I no longer call you servants, I'm calling you friends, but there's something that's happened in between John 15 and John 20. And in the upper room, actually, Jesus tells his disciples something really interesting. He says, you're going to scatter. You're going to leave me. And guess what? They did. Guess who was there sitting around on Easter Sunday morning just waiting for Jesus to raise from the dead like he said he would? not His disciples, not the guys at least. They were all hiding in a room somewhere because they were afraid of the Jews. But isn't this amazing what Jesus tells Mary? He doesn't say, go tell those scoundrels that I've risen like I told them I would. Go tell those heartless cowards that I'm actually here. Go tell those people that left me that they are no longer my friends. No, it's not what he says at all, is it? He says, go tell my brothers. He doesn't move backward from friends. He actually moves forward into intimacy, right? He's no longer using the word friend. He's using the word brother. These are my brothers. Go tell them. Go tell them that it's my God and their God. They're united together. You know, that idea of belonging is so woven into our hearts We yearn for it in everything, and it is so woven into the brokenness of our world, too, isn't it? Someone told me uh, not long ago that they actually remember a time when you couldn't be served at Nagland's Bakery if you weren't German. And, of course, you know, we have used race and ethnicity as a sign of belonging or not belonging, you know, all throughout the history of our nation and really throughout the world. But there's plenty of other things, too, aren't there? the little kind of social cues we give, the unwritten rules, the, the, the markers kind of our, of our identity that say you either belong here or you don't belong here. Uh, you know, the gates, the literal gates that we put up around our neighborhoods that say, I belong in here, you maybe not so much unless I give you a code. Belonging is something that we yearn for, but there's so oftentimes that conflict The Apostle Paul says something glorious in his letters, and it's that Christians have been adopted into God's family. So that what Jesus says to his disciples, go tell my brothers, is actually true of you and I if we belong to Jesus, that we are his brothers and sisters, that we are in his family, and that we are there for good. I read a story the other day about a family who had adopted a little girl from a pretty terrible orphanage in a different country. And this may resonate with some of you. You may, you may actually uh, have this own story in your own families or in people you know. But when they received this girl, they realized that she had just been working on a very particular paradigm. And that paradigm was, if I do the right things, then the people that I want to accept me will accept me. And so when they adopted her, they told her, like they had told all of their children, uh, we expect you to keep your room clean, to make your bed every morning. But what they didn't know is that she was going to kind of twist that to do what she was doing in order to gain love. So every morning, they'd walk into her room, and her room was immaculate, and her bed was made perfectly, and she was sitting on her bed, and she would say, my room is clean, can I stay? And of course, it broke the hearts of those parents, because what they wanted to communicate to her was something completely different, right? Is that your belonging is not contingent upon your behavior. It's just the opposite way, right? You belong, and now you behave. I think some of us need to hear that because we're sitting on our beds every morning and saying, okay, Lord, everything's clean. I've done it all. Can I stay? Or maybe we're hiding under our beds, (laughs) fearing that God is going to kick us out. But that is not the calculus of the Bible. That is not the way that it works in the gospel. Because the gospel says that we belong to Jesus not based on our behavior, but based on his. It's his action that has given us belonging in his family. It's what he has done that makes us adopted children, that makes us his brothers. Every other form of religion, every other system of thought, it's always about what you do that earns you some sort of place. Here's the list of things you've got to do. Here's the place you've got to travel to. Here's what you need to accomplish if you're going to reach Nirvana or heaven or whatever it is. But the gospel is radically different. because what the gospel says is, it's already been done by Christ. We receive it by faith. So for us, we belong because of what Jesus has done. And here's the beautiful then thing that flows from that, is because we belong we actually want to behave. We actually want to follow. We want to serve. We want to love. Here's the third thing that Mary sees and that I think that we can see in Jesus is not just a friend, not just a brother, not one who belongs, but but actually a Savior, is that we get to see a Savior. Listen again to verse 18 to how Mary proclaims Jesus to the disciples. She says, she, uh, Mary Magdalene went and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said those things to her. I love the progression of the words that Mary uses actually to describe Jesus. First, she says, sir, right? Sir, where have you taken when she thinks he's the gardener? And then when she realizes it's Jesus, she says, rabbi, teacher. That's how she knows Jesus. He's the one who's been teaching her. He's the one who has actually worked miraculously in her life. We read elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. But how does she announce him when she comes to the disciples? She says, I have seen the Lord. Now, that's a really important word, actually, in the Bible. In Greek, that word is kurios. And kurios has a broad range of meaning. It can mean kind of just somebody who has a greater social standing than you, something like sir. But it had come to mean much more in the Greek world at that time, particularly because Caesar, the emperor of Rome, which was occupying Israel at the time, had taken that term for himself. Caesar was kurios. That was the proclamation at the time. Caesar is Lord. And so for Christians to say Jesus is Lord, as they started to say very quickly after Jesus' resurrection, was actually an act of sedition. It was something that said, no, there's actually a new king in town, there's a Messiah, there's someone with more authority than just Caesar, and it's Jesus. But it's got even more weight to it as well, because in the Old Testament, God had revealed Himself to Moses and His people as Yahweh. And when the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, when it was translated into Greek, for, uh, for, for first-century Jews, they didn't want to translate the word Yahweh kind of literally out of respect, so they actually inserted the word kurios. So, when it gets translated into Greek, the, every time Yahweh is present in the Old Testament, it's written kurios. In fact, you can probably see this in your Bibles. The word Lord is probably written with a, written with a big capital L and then small caps, O-R-D. That's kurios that's behind that. So, not only was this word kurios the word that meant the Messiah, the King, the one who has more power and authority than Caesar, it was actually the one who has created all power and authority. It was the one who spoke the world into existence. When they read kurios, they read God Almighty. Why is this important to us? It's because there is only one person who has the power to raise from death to life, and that is the one who has created life in the first place. It is the creator of all things that rose up and walked around out of that grave that Sunday morning. It was the one in whom all things hold together that spoke Mary's name to her. I have a friend in Baton Rouge when we live there who has a story that, that it may be familiar to many of you. He grew up in the church and then in college just kind of gradually started walking away. Sleeping in on Sunday mornings and then sleeping in every Sunday morning until really after college in his young adult life he just didn't really know much about Christianity anymore and was completely detached. And then he met his wife and she dragged him to church. Anybody ring a bell for anybody? And as he was in church, one of those mornings when his wife drug him there, he heard the pastor preach what he would actually describe as a pretty mediocre sermon from John chapter 1 in which he just said what Scripture says, which is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And my friend sat there and he thought, okay, if Jesus was in the beginning, and if Jesus is (laughs) God… then maybe I need to actually pay a little more attention to Him. Maybe we need to hear that this morning. Is that the one who spoke so tenderly Mary's name to her is the one who spoke the cosmos into existence. The one who got up and defeated death that Sunday morning is the one who actually created life. The one that we celebrate as the risen Christ is the one who has created all things, Paul says, in whom all things hold together. And He is the only one that can actually change a broken heart. He is the only one that can rescue. He is the only one that can defeat not only death, but sin, the cause of death. So, how does Mary respond to this Savior? This is worth noting. Two things she does. The first is that she worships. And how does she worship? Well, it's not explicitly listed, but it's implied she gives Jesus a big hug. Jesus says something interesting to her. He says, Mary, stop clinging to me. And in in English, it's a little hard to understand the, the power of that phrase, but in Greek, it really is kind of an ongoing verb. It's like Jesus is saying, you can't keep clinging to me and hugging me forever. You've got to stop at some point. Jesus is not telling her not to touch him, okay? He's not saying to go away. She's actually doing what she's made for. (laughs) This is what the Bible says is that Christians, not just Christians, but people, human beings, were made to worship. We were made to have God at the center of our lives, to embrace Him in all that we do to have the gospel actually drive our work and our relationships and our families and the way that we look at the world. Worship is supposed to be something that's at the heart of all that we do. We are to live in a full-time embrace with Jesus. So then why does He tell her that she needs to stop? It's because there's a second thing that we were created to do as well, and that is to announce, which is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers what you've seen. And so Mary goes and she proclaims the best news she's ever heard. I have seen the Lord. Let me close with this. I think there are three kind of ways that we can oftentimes think about and talk about resurrection. The first is kind of the factual way. Like if I had a jar up here and it had jelly beans in it, and I said, all right, we're taking... We're taking votes. How many beans, how many jelly beans are in the jar? Someone would say 250. Another person would say 176. Somebody would say 9, right? Um, One of you would be closer to the real number than another. But there's actually a real number. There's a right and a wrong answer. Those are the facts, and they're undisputable. The second way that we can look at resurrection and probably the more common way these days is if I passed out Starburst candies to everybody and I said, okay, which is the best flavor? Well, at that point, we're not really talking about facts. We're talking about opinions. We're talking about preferences. Some people may say, I don't even like Starburst or I got braces on. I can't eat Starburst, right? We're talking about opinions. And by and large, these days, when we are talking about truth claims about religion, we have actually usually moved them into that second category so that we talk about them as opinions, as preferences, as that sort of thing. But there is actually a third way to talk about the resurrection that I think is even more helpful. And they aren't just facts to believe or opinions to form, but as a person to know. Mary does not come and announce, I've seen something really great. She doesn't come and say, have a wonderful story that I'm going to tell you that's going to help shape kind of your thinking. She doesn't even say, you know, I have uh, been, I've given this little news, this bit of news, and it's got these numbers on it. No, she says, I have seen a person. I have seen the risen Christ. So, let's get back to our original question. Whom do we seek? What are we looking for? Have we met the one where there's real friendship to be found? Have we met the one who gives us belonging like we can't find anywhere else? Have we met the one who holds all things together by the power of His Word and who has put sin to death on the cross and who is raised to new life? Have you met the risen Christ? Do you know Him? If that answer is no, let me encourage you to keep digging into God's Word. Read through the Gospel of John or the other Gospels. Come talk to me. I would love to discuss those things to you, with you. And if that is you, if you have met Jesus, if you know him intimately, then live your life in a full-time embrace, in a full-time proclamation, in a full-time dependence upon this one who has come to do what we could not. That's my prayer for us this morning. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, this glorious news that you got up from the grave that it wasn't just a really great story that got circulated around, that it wasn't even just kind of a news release or or a system, a math equation to be worked out, but, Lord, a person to be known, to be trusted, to give our lives to. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts such that we would do that maybe even just a little bit more this morning. That we would give ourselves more and more to Jesus, that we would depend on Him, that we would embrace Him in love, that we would know Him as friend and brother, and that we would know Him as Lord. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.